If you have your Bible, please turn to the book of Acts. We're continuing a series. So if you are a guest with us, you've caught us in the middle, uh, just about halfway through. We're over halfway through the series, if you're thinking about the series in Acts, but we are not quite halfway through the actual material in Acts. We'll be in Acts 13. Acts 13. And our text for today actually marks a, a change, a new start. Um, so Jesus had said back in Acts 1.8 that you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And today we're seeing the gospel begin to go to the end of the earth. Now we have seen it in the last couple chapters come to Gentiles for the first time, but now we're seeing the beginning of the missionary work where there's intentional going calling, uh, sent actually by the, by the Spirit and then by the church under the Spirit's leadership, sending the gospel to the nations, to people who have not yet heard. So that's what is beginning here in Acts 13, and that's what we'll be tracing through the rest of the book together. So there's a way in which uh, this is the, the start of the rest of the book of Acts. So I wanted to give that little setup, and Brian Luna is coming up. He's going to read the text for us today. It's Acts 13, verses 1 through 12. So Acts 13, 1 through 12, and Brian's coming to read the word of the Lord. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elamus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Well, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how you keep all your promises. You are so good to us. 
And so we ask that you would help us even now as we look together into your word, that you would help us to see what you want us to see, and not just to, to learn something, but to be changed into the people that you want us to be, as those who are called and sent by your spirit to do the work that you have given each of us to do. So we ask that you'd help us to embrace the calling that you have placed on our lives by your grace and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Get this out of the way and try to not knock over the beautiful fall decorations. Great. So at the beginning we said we gather to rejoice because the gospel has come all the way to us, right? That the good news of forgiveness through Jesus has come all the way here so that we can hear it and respond with repentance and faith and belong to God both now and forever. And that is good news. God also intends through us, the gospel having come all the way to us, God intends through us, for the gospel to go to those who haven't yet heard. And so today, we're talking about, as as we're talking about the beginning of this missionary journey, this is kind of setting up everything else that's coming in Acts. We're talking about reaching unreached peoples and reaching unreached places. That may, may be language that is unfamiliar to you, And when we're talking about unreached peoples, we're talking about people groups, uh, which may or may not align with national borders. So we're not talking about nations necessarily. So even when Jesus said, take the gospel to the nations, it's to the ethne, to the ethnic groups. So there are different groups even within nations or groups across different nations as lines have been drawn and redrawn by the people in power in the last centuries So it may not align with national borders, but there are people groups who are from the same line and speak the same language and are yet unreached. For some of them, they don't have the Bible in their language at all, which sounds incomprehensible to us because there are so many translations in English it's like it's, it feels like there's a new one coming out almost every year or an announcement of a new one coming out and here's the latest one and it's going to be the best because of this reason and I'm not complaining about that. It's good to have resources. It's good to have the Bible in our language. But there are people that God has called and there are people that God is calling who will go across the world to be with a group of people who sometimes not only don't have the Bible in their language, I have friends who are helping governments create a written language for people groups within their nation. You think of a nation like Cambodia. There are people groups in Cambodia who don't have a written language. They don't have a codified language. It's just carried down by verbal, oral (laughs) tradition, through the years, and they're, they're still, you know, the kids would love it. They're not in here today, but the kids would be like, yes, we don't have grammar. We don't have, it's like, this is fantastic. We can just talk and it doesn't even matter. 
which is kind of what a lot of kids do anyway, but in theory there's grammar for English, and that changes over time, but there are people groups that don't have not only the Bible in their language, they don't have their language structured at all as far as writing, and so there are people, missionaries, who've gone out from here, who are a lot smarter than I am, right? Because many missionaries, you think, oh, I just have to learn another language, right? Like Spanish, which is hard enough for me, and I know many of you are like, come on, bro, it's not, it's not that hard, right? And I, yeah, and everyone's like, yes, amen. Um, so sorry, I'll, I'll not make any promises about that. Okay. Thank you. I need it. Um, but there are people who go to another place where they don't have, you know, a book to study on the way. There's no language school to go to to prepare for going. They're going and learning the language among the people and then figuring out how does it work, how do they talk, and writing it down. And then the first book, first big book, because obviously you need to start with simple things, but the first big book they translate is the Bible. And they're going there, spending, you know, this isn't the kind of thing like, you know, I'm going to work hard for a year. You're just getting started, right? By the time regular missionaries would come home for their first furlough four years in, you're just getting started, figuring out the language and getting ready to put it into a Bible translation. And this is something we don't maybe think about a lot, it's certainly not in our news a lot. There's a lot of other things in our news that get our attention, and it doesn't mean we shouldn't pay attention to the news that's here. But what's happening here in the rest of Acts is the gospel going to places where Christ is yet not known, where people are not calling on his name. And we can tend to think that was for then. And that's really neat what Barnabas and Saul, who for the first time here, was, who's also called Paul. That was neat for them, and that was really cool for them. But God is calling people today to go to places where Christ is not yet known at all. And even the definition for unreached people is kind of the, the general rule for that. There's no hard and fast rule. The general rule for that is where there are 2% or f- fewer, less than 2% of a population who claims to be believers in Jesus. That's who the, the ones who are working on this sort of stuff say that's the general number. It's not a magic number, right? It's, it's better to be 1.9 and rising than 2.1 and falling, So it's not just about percentage and like, okay, we can only send resources to these places. I mean, you think even of people that we're partners with in the Dominican Republic. In one sense, that is a reached place. But the church that we're partnered with in Pika Pika is going village to village preaching the gospel to people who don't have it yet. Because they're, yeah, there's going to be a work in Santo Domingo, and there are churches in Santo Domingo, and there's need for church planting in Santo Domingo, which is three and a half million people, uh, somewhere between, you know, us and New York, as far as cities go, but very large. And being there a couple months ago, it's like, whoa, there are so many people and so many people growing up without hearing of Christ. But especially as you get out to the villages, they're sometimes taking the first gospel witness 
to these places. So it can happen even in places that are considered reached places, but it especially happens in places that are considered unreached. There's unreached peoples and then unreached places, like you might think about rural Dominican Republic, places where there's little to no gospel witness. And so it's not just nations, it's even pockets within nations, like the villages in the DR, or even New England here in our own United States, probably the least churched area of the United States, which once was like a hotbed of Christianity. Um, So many people are growing up with a completely secular lifestyle with no knowledge or understanding of, of God and the gospel of Jesus right here in our own United States. So, The big idea this morning, as we're thinking about to the end of the earth, is this. We must participate in the spread of the gospel to the end of the earth. We must participate in the spread of the gospel to the end of the earth. Jesus set the agenda, right? He set it with that great commission. It says, you're going to receive power, and here's what's going to happen. The neat thing, I love this version of the Great Commission. It's not only a commission, it's also a promise. It's not, you need to do this. It's, this is going to happen. It's, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses. And it came true for those original disciples, and it is still coming true, still being fulfilled Today. So, in our text for today, the gospel begins to go to the end of the earth, and this is still the plan. This is still what Jesus wants us to be about until he comes. So, we want to learn from what happened then and seek to apply it in our own time and place. So, as you think about what happened then with Barnabas and Saul and the gospel going to the end of the earth, we're just going to look quickly at a few points there. We're going to kind of roll through these and say, don't promise that. Okay. First, is that this was promised and commissioned by Jesus, which is what we were just talking about a moment ago. That he said it was going to happen, and now here in Acts 13, it's happening. And it's not just like a vision like in Acts 10 where it's like, Peter, get with the program, figure this out. The gospel's not just for you. It's for a few other people too. It's for non-Jews too. It's like, okay, I'll go and we do this, right? This is, that's right. This is the moment where the gospel is being intentionally taken to people who do not yet know Jesus. It was promised by Jesus. It was commissioned by Jesus. So they can go with confidence. Jesus is the one who gave us this mission. And he's the one who promised that it would be fulfilled. So it's promised and commissioned by Jesus. Second, it's called and empowered by the Holy Spirit. For this mission, Barnabas and Saul are called and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Look back at your text. Verse 2. So there's mention of the prophets and teachers, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting... The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. 
Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down. And it tells you where they went after that. They were called by the Spirit. They're sent out by the Holy Spirit according to the command of Jesus. And then they were empowered by the Spirit. They weren't just called. And this is such good news for us, right? We think about the Great Commission at the end of Matthew. And we're given this big job, you know, go to all nations and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And it's like, whoa, this is a big job. We can't do this. And it is a big job. And on our own, we can't do it. And right as the disciples are most likely feeling that, it's like, we can't do this. He says, and behold, look, I am with you always to the end of the age. What a promise, right? Jesus is not a general who sits at home and directs armies into battle on the other side of the world. He's not one who sits safely somewhere away from the fight, away from the battle and says, go on, do what I said. I've given you instructions, haven't I? He could do that. But he says, I am with you. And he's with us by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And so the Spirit doesn't just call either. It's not just, okay, here you go on this day, you know this is where you're supposed to go and this is what you're supposed to do, like what happened for Barnabas and Saul here. And it's like, okay, guess we're supposed to go. As they go, the Holy Spirit is with them. And we see that through the opposition that they find. In verse 9, Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit. He did his ministry filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's promised and commissioned by Jesus, called and empowered by the Holy Spirit, and then sent by the church. So yes, sent by the Spirit, But I love how what we see here is not just Barnabas and Saul are talking. They're like, what should we do? And the Spirit's like, you guys are supposed to go. And they're like, okay, we're supposed to go. We're going. That's not how it works. They were sent by the church. They were prepared. They were confirmed. They laid hands on them, fasted and prayed, and sent them off. And they were supported. We find out later on that that Paul received lots of support from his sending church and from other churches along the way. And when he was done, when Paul and Barnabas are done with this first missionary journey, what do they do? They come back to the church that sent them and report to them, here's what you've supported, here's what you sent us to do, and here's how God worked. So I love that Luke doesn't just say Barnabas and Saul were called by the Spirit to go on mission. He could have said that, and it would be true. They were sent, and they went. But he notes their place in the church. There were multiple teachers and prophets in this church in Antioch. And so, even as we think about, okay, some people are supposed to go, and maybe there's one person here who's supposed to go. Maybe there's five, maybe there's ten. I don't know. Maybe it's some of the kids who are downstairs right now. We don't know that. But part of how we want to think, and I'm cheating from the end of the sermon now, (laughs) 
We want to be a church that's ready when the Spirit says it's time to go and it's time for them to go. We want to be a church that believes the gospel. We want to be a church that's praying together, that's sensitive to the Spirit's leading. It's interesting here, speaking of fasting, we think of fasting as something that's very private. If we do it at all, we do it all by ourselves. And there's a good impulse there that actually comes from Jesus, right? He said the Pharisees, they make it obvious when they fast, right? They, they're, they, <laughs> they want everyone to know how spiritual they're being. And he says, when you fast, don't do it like that. Don't do it to get acclaim from other people who are just, oh, wow, look at them. Look how disciplined. Look at them. But here, Luke just kind of casually notes, they were praying and fasting. They were fasting and praying. And so there's a place that maybe we've been lax in exercising that's not just for individual fasting, but even for a church to be fasting. That's the idea here, is that the church is gathering, that they were taking time to pray, to fast, to seek the leading of the Lord, to give something up, to show their dependence on and trust in the Lord, to meet with him, and to have him meet with them and lead them. In this church, there were multiple teachers and prophets that he lists there in verse 1. And they were from different backgrounds. You can catch that even from the names. Some of them are more like Greek names. Some of them are clearly from Africa, like Simeon. That's his, his other name, means black. So it's like this is a church that had people from different places and different backgrounds. But what they had in common is that they believed in Jesus and they belonged to Jesus. They had been called out, not based on what they look like or where they're from, but as sinners to a Savior who came and gave his life for them. And they belong to the same Savior. And because they belong to Jesus, they belong to one another. And there were lots of teachers there. They were from different places. This is a multi-ethnic church, a place where there's peace and harmony, not because it's kind of forced and we need to make it work, but because of God's work in them by the Spirit, through the gospel. There were lots of them. We don't know whether these other teachers were brought in by Barnabas like Saul was. Like, we know how he got there, right? Barnabas went and found him. He says, wow, God's really doing a work here. Come on, I need your help with this. So we don't know whether he went somewhere else and found them and said, come to this great church at Antioch and help us out. Or whether they were raised up from inside the church through the teaching of Barnabas and Saul. We don't know that. We just know at this time, there's five different people that could be listed as teachers and prophets in the church in Antioch. And we know that it was out of that church that the Spirit called Barnabas and Saul for a particular work and that he did it as they fasted and prayed. And then the church, rather than going like, these guys are kind of like our most important leaders, they need to stay, take these other ones, they said, okay. And they fasted and prayed some more, and laid hands on them, and sent them out, commissioned them to the work that the Spirit had already called them to do. So, promised and commissioned by Jesus, called and empowered by the church, by the Spirit, sorry, sent by the church, And then opposed by the enemy. 
Sometimes we can think, especially as we're saying, you know, go and do this thing, and I know people who are going and doing it. It's like, yeah, that's, that's great. This is exciting. Most of the time, it's not very exciting. It's difficult. And in one way, it was easier to reach unreached people back then because everyone was an unreached people. And so it's a little more complicated now um, and a little more difficult to find now. And at the same time, the work was not without opposition. It was opposed by the enemy. And so we have a, a kind of a physical enemy there in this guy, Bar-Jesus, who's trying to distract Sergius Paulus, distract the leader whom Paul is preaching the gospel to, saying, no, 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 this over here, look at this, look what I can do. Um, and it's kind of a funny picture, it's like, here's the magician, it's like, is this like uh, Moses before Pharaoh, right? It's like, here's, here's, the, here's the first plague, ooh, we can do that too. We got that. It's all covered. So we don't know for sure, because it doesn't tell us in the text what was happening there. So we don't know what this magician was doing, but he's trying to distract Sergius Paulus from hearing the gospel, trying to keep him from trusting in Christ. And the devil and his minions still seek to make crooked the straight paths of the Lord. And so we are called to love our enemies, but we don't have to pretend like we don't have enemies. We've got to be really careful with that. Can't treat people like enemies. And at the same time, there are those who walk, as Paul said, as enemies of the cross of Christ. There are those who would seek to turn people away from Christ and from his good news. But let's make sure that any righteous indignation that we feel like we have, and all our indignation is righteous, right? Mine is for sure. Isn't it so easy how we can feel that way? It's like, I have a right to be angry about this. And sometimes we do. So let's make sure that any actual righteous indignation is reserved for those who are turning people away from Christ and his gospel. So someone could have very different views than you on all sorts of things, and they are not necessarily turning someone away with that teaching from Christ and the gospel. Someone could be like on your team in some things. Like they, they could be a Phillies fan, a Flyers fan. They could be a capitalist. Maybe that's on your team. And they could still be intent on turning people away from Christ and toward finding their life, hope, and fulfillment somewhere else in some kind of American dream, which won't last very long. Even if we get the most now, we can't hang on to it, and eternity is a lot longer than today. And we forget, right? We think, oh, oh, but the next 20 years are so important for my life. And they're not unimportant. I don't want to minimize this life here. I want to maximize the life to come. And anything we lose here for the sake of Christ, we gain so much more. But we will face opposition, and we'll see it as we move through the rest of Acts. Paul and others are regularly met with fierce opposition, but the Lord is with them. The Spirit empowers them, and the gospel advances. And so it will be today, and so it will be until 
Jesus comes. So what part will you play? Is the Spirit calling you? Are you positioning yourself to be prepared should the Spirit call? Here is the result we're going to have on the screen from Romans 15, verses 18 through 21. Years later, here's what Paul could write to the church in Rome. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, which we see even in this text as he tells them you're going to be blind for a while and he suddenly is, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the, all the way around to Illyricum, which is just across from Italy, across the Adriatic Sea. So it's a long way from Jerusalem. It's kind of like, you know, I've been from, from here to Denver and back telling the good news about Jesus. I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. He's quoting there from Isaiah. And there are people today who are still being moved by those words to go across the world with the gospel to people who have not heard and who yet do not know. Through the calling and the power of the Holy Spirit, we must take the good news about Jesus to peoples and places where he is not known. So what is our part? So we think about our part saying, you know, you have a part to play, let's be prepared. Well, as we consider our part, first, some are called to go. Some are called to go. Like, some of my friends who right now are on the other side of the world translating the Bible into the language of the people that they're seeking to reach and then seeing people added to the church and then training pastors to start more and more churches among these unreached peoples. Some are called to go and actually do the work. And that's what we see here, right? Barnabas and Saul. I've called them to a work. There they go. Send them out. That's right. <laughs> and sometimes the Spirit calls people even when they're really young. And so maybe it will be some of the people who are downstairs hearing the word right now who go out from us. As they get a little older and they're thinking about, you know, what am I going to do with my life? What am I going to be? College students, you might be there, right? You've already thought about like what you want to study for college and maybe you're already regretting it. (laughs) And some of you are like, okay, he knows me. Is this possibility going across the world with the gospel? Not because it's a cool adventure, not because you love to travel, but because this is what God has called you to. Is this something you're considering as you think about your future? 
Are you just thinking about getting a job? Especially those of you who are close to graduation. Just, I just gotta, you know, I gotta pay the bills. There's a lot I gotta actually pay back, right? Are you thinking about just getting a job? Have you been sold the American dream? Is that what you're chasing? Are you chasing Christ and his will for you? Now, I don't know for sure that he's called any of you particularly who are here today, and I know not all college students are sitting over here. I don't know that he's called any of you particularly to go, but I know that he's, you are in a neat spot, right? Where you're not set. You're not settled. And this is an opportunity to say, God, would you have me be one who goes? And it doesn't have to be just going forever. Like that's the picture I'm kind of painting. Like you go and you go for the rest of your life. Missionary teams need help. So you had Barnabas and Saul, but somebody went along with them for the work we saw in the text. They had John. Now, if you know the rest of the story, you know that this time that didn't turn out too well because he left them uh, on the way to the work, but the principle is still there. And by God's grace, later on, right, Paul could write, bring John Mark. He's useful to me for the ministry. And we'll hear more about him and talk more about him as we go. But they're helping us see, like, okay, it wasn't just one guy. It's like, yeah, I got it, right? Already it's a team. You have the best two teachers, probably the two most important people in the church in Antioch. They're the ones being sent to go, but they don't go on their own. They bring someone to help them in the works. There can be short-term opportunities, longer-term opportunities. My sister, years ago, as she was finishing college, she graduated in December, and she spent that last semester of what would be her college age years uh, on the mission field with a missionary family, helping take care of their kids so that they could do the work. And so, you, you know, you think, well, I have to be good at learning languages. I mean, you're talking about like, Languages that don't even have a, a dictionary yet. I'm not even good with our language. Like, I'm clearly not called, right? Well, maybe you're not called to that particular work, but maybe you're called to go and support and be there with them, helping get things done so that someone who maybe is more gifted in certain ways than you and I are can do those things for God's glory. If you're single or if you're married and have no kids, you have opportunities to do short-term trips, maybe not a semester long, maybe not a year long like we've had some in our church do over the last several years. Maybe it's a couple weeks. Maybe it's taking some of that vacation time and going and being part of what God is doing and seeing what God is doing. And sometimes it's through trips like that that God calls people to go for longer. But you have an opportunity to go. You can even go if you have kids. It's not just for singles and those who are married without children. There's a little more flexibility there. Um, but all of us can go and be part of this. Parents. I know we've talked about this before but this is a good spot to talk about it again. Are we raising our children with this possibility in mind? Like, would you be thrilled or crushed 
if your children came to you and said, God is calling me to go. And it's not bad to want our kids to be close. It's starting to get a little close for us. We want him to keep being here with us. It's like, don't go away to college. Why would you do that? <laughs> and there are some that God calls to stay. And if you have your family all around you, and in 25 years you have your family all around you, and that's what God wants for you, then great. But let's not hold on to them because it's what we want. Let's be raising them toward going. So that if God calls them, they're ready. We don't live near our parents. Now, we're not across the world. And so it's not hard. We can drive there. It takes a long time, but we can drive there. Um, but my parents were very intentional. Um, being careful with what they spent money on, how we lived not letting us know what my dad made so that if God were to call us to something in ministry, that we wouldn't go, but I'm used to this and I can't afford to give that up to do this work. Now, I didn't know that then. We were just living. Watching our parents love the Lord Watching my dad be faithful in telling other people about Jesus week after week. Watching him be faithful in his work. But all the time, praying, planning, hoping that God would call us and prepare us for whatever God had for us. And they would love to have us close, right? They would love it. If we called them up and said, we're coming home, they'd like, how do we make this work? We're on it. But they are thrilled because they know this is where God wants us to be. And we are thrilled to be where God wants us to be. And now being parents ourselves and having our oldest one as a sophomore and a forward thinker, <laughs> those of you who know her know that, it's starting to hit us in a different way. And so whether your kids are two, whether they're not even born yet, whether they're finishing high school, are we raising our children to know and love what God is doing among the nations? To be ready to go. And maybe God won't call them to go. Maybe God will call them to stay. But as we raise them, we don't want to raise them with this scared, like, Lord, please don't call them, but I guess your will be done. Let's actually help put it in their minds that this may be something that God has called them to do. Maybe they're really good in school. They're really smart. And we think, okay, boy, there's paths for you. The people who need to go and do the really hard work, really slogging work, need to be really smart. And some of you are like, man, I'm off the hook. My kids are off the hook. <laughs> We're good. <laughs> A 
certain slice of the work needs people who are really smart, right? There's, there's plenty of work for all of us, wherever we're from, whatever our ability is. But it's also a, a question to ask, right? And we think about uh, seminaries pl- preparing people for ministry. It's like, do the, where do the best ones go? What are the plans made for the best ones? Are you skilled with languages? Maybe God is calling you to go. But ultimately, who's the kind of person the Spirit calls to go? The person who's already on mission here, where they are. Mission work doesn't start when you sail or now fly across the sea. Yes, they sailed to Cyprus, but they were already doing what they knew the Lord had called them to do and what the church had commissioned them to do. Are we, as individuals, as families, as a church, are we being faithful with what the Lord has given us to do now? It's a big question for us. Some are called to go, and we want to be ready. Some are called to go. Many are called to stay. Most, even, are called to stay. I mean, you think about this church. It wasn't even the majority of the teachers and prophets who went, right? It was two out of five. And that was all the rest of the church there, too. Many are called to stay. But again, this doesn't get us off the hook, right, when it comes to evangelism and mission. While we stay, we can participate in Jesus' command by loving our neighbors, by speaking the gospel to them, especially our neighbors coming to us from the nations. It was mentioned earlier, Danny mentioned it, when talking about Grow Northeast, and talking about Northeast Community Church, and Grow Northeast is a ministry that's housed there, that Sue DeHart, one of our members, is actually the, the leader of the one that meets there. There are many people coming to us from the nations, and there are opportunities right here in the Northeast to take the gospel while going just a mile or two, or maybe less, to people who are from unreached people groups. Like some of the unreached people groups are coming right to us. So yes, some must go, but we have an opportunity in this day and this time to reach the nations right here in Northeast Philadelphia. So many are called to stay. And if we stay, we're not off the hook. We're to be on mission, but we're also called as churches. Churches are called to send. Some are called to go. Many are called to stay. Churches are called to send. And so we believe that God will call some of us to go and that he will call most of us to stay. But even for those of us who stay, we need to be part of sending so that the gospel can reach to the end of the earth according to Jesus' command. I was, as I've been anticipating coming to this text, I've been a little concerned realizing how many teachers that God has given us here. Uh, If you've been with us for a while, you know I preach here most of the time, but we have five other men who preach here and do a great job. I love it when I'm away and get messages like the one I got this summer when one of those guys was preaching. It was one that one of our members hadn't heard yet. He'd heard everyone else who's part of our preaching team. And as soon as the service ends, I get this text that says, I see 
all of our relief pitchers throw 99 miles an hour. It's like, praise the Lord for that. As a baseball guy, I really like the metaphor too. But that is such a gift that if you've been here for a while, you might just, well, this is just how it works. Like, there's, there's a lot of good preachers here. Like, I don't know how much you've been around to other places. That's not normally the case. Uh, we have friends in other churches like, well, if, if the pastor's not there, I'm not sure what we're doing that day or why we should bother doing it. And we don't have to feel that way here. God has given us gifted teachers. And perhaps, this is not an announcement, perhaps God is preparing some to be sent. And I know we don't like to hear that, especially after we just prayed over someone two weeks ago and like feels two weeks before that and three weeks before that. It's like, is that all we do is pray over people who are going out places? It does seem like we've been doing a lot of that. And in some ways, that should always be our story. We are not just about building something here. Though we think God is certainly up to something here, and we're glad to be a part of it. But God has put us here, not only for here, but also for there, wherever there is. We may not even know where there is right now. But God does, and we believe that he's preparing some of you, some of us, even now for work that he has for you in the future, among people who are yet unreached, just as he had a plan for Barnabas and Saul. So part of being prepared to do the work of mission, taking the gospel where the name of Jesus is not yet known, is to be a healthy church here now. It's why we do things like the spiritual formation course that's going on this year and that's such a joy to walk with with those of you who are part of it. It's why we're seeking to grow together in our discipleship communities. Yes, it's for us to grow personally, but it's also for us to be prepared to be used however God would use us. It's why we, use, why we have Bible studies. It's why the Word is so central to what we do on Sundays and why we seek the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, all of it's for us, and that's good, and it's so good for us that this good news has come all the way to us, but it's so that it would not stop with us. It would not stay with us, but it would go out that his name would be known to the end of the earth. And as we think about sending, we do need to think about sending our best. I'm sure there was some major disappointment in the Antioch church when the Holy Spirit said Barnabas and Saul. Really? (laughs) Both of them? Like this was the guy who came and saw the grace of God and helped us and then went and brought Saul. And like, this is great. This is exactly the way it's supposed to be. They're like the best teachers we have. Couldn't you send, you know, one of these other guys? Or maybe just one? And that's something that our friends in the DR are walking through and in some cases struggling with right now. Right? Why both? That was one of the questions they asked me. I'm like, you gotta ask them. I can't answer that question. I don't know. Why both? 
Why now? Why those who have led us and grown us up in the faith? It's like, well, God's prepared some of you to be ready to lead here now. And God's calling us to go and do a new work. That's what's happening for our friends in Pika Pika. And so as we consider this text, we can pray for them because they're sending their best and they're not sure how come early next year as the new church is planted, how it's all gonna go. There is a big element of risk in taking the gospel to new places, in starting new churches, in the gospel going to people who don't yet know Jesus. And it's what we've done already in planting and sending to support churches locally. No shade toward anyone is here who's here still, right? We've sent our best. <laughs> like, wait, we're uh sorry. Right, but those of you who've been here for years, you know what I'm talking about. Like, how much stronger would we be if Stephen and Abby Bound were here every week instead of in Frankfurt? But they're supposed to be there. It's better that they're there. As much as we can say, well, it would be better for us if they were still here. It's like, and sure, that's true, but this is exactly what God has for us now. And he has them there reaching people who would not otherwise be reached in a neighborhood that we can't reach into naturally. Sure, we may be able to get Christians who are already established and are looking for a good church to drive up here if they have cars to come here. But that's not what we're, it's not just like let's collect all the Christians in the area. Let's reach new people for Jesus. That's why they're there. And so we've done this already, but it's important for us to keep this in mind. And again, I have zero announcements today. Just want to like, okay, right? I mean, you might have an announcement. I don't know about one, all right? We're not even bringing anybody up to say like, well, they're moving away uh, to, the new, to the next thing. They finished their course of study. Like some of those that are kind of benign that we're still sad about, I'm 99.5% sure we don't even have one of those today, Okay? But this is kind of the way that it's been for a long time. And, and we can want to, like, hold on. Even back in the 1700s, the smartest, brightest, most gifted leaders were sent to the largest, most influential churches. Like, when guys came through seminary, it's like, ooh, you're really gifted, you're really smart. You should go here to this important place. The ones who, for one reason or another, couldn't make it for regular ordination, like they couldn't actually officially be ordained by the denominations, those were the ones who were deemed good enough to take the gospel to the Native Americans. Right? Right? You think some of this stuff is new? It's not new. Now, one of those guys you know his name, David Brainerd. His was because he got in some trouble while he was in seminary. Okay, it wasn't because he wasn't smart. <laughs> he got in trouble and was like, you're not, gonna, you're not able to be ordained. Here's your job you can do. You can go to Western Massachusetts and tell this tribe about Jesus and we'll see what happens. And he went and of course, God worked and many were saved. And it's like, yeah, the missionary, David Brainerd. David Brainerd was a missionary to the Indians in Western Massachusetts because he couldn't get ordained in the de denominations. 
So even back then, it's like, who are the good ones? Let's have them there. Nah, you can't hack it, so why don't you go tell new people about Jesus? Tell these other people about Jesus. And that kind of thinking, sadly, can still be found today, right? If a young leader is especially gifted, he may be primed, prepared to be brought along, to be important. But the gifts, skills, and perseverance needed to do the hard work, especially of cross-cultural frontier missions, is much greater than, say, what is required of me here. And we don't need to play a comparison game. I'm so glad the Lord has us here now. But we, Grace City Church of the Northeast, have a responsibility to be the strongest church, by God's grace, that we can be in order to be prepared to send and support both locally and globally. Not the people that we're glad to be rid of, but our best. And last, all are called to pray. Some will go, many of us will stay. As a church, we're called to be prepared to send, and all of us are called to pray. When did the Spirit call them? When they were praying and fasting. What did they do after the Spirit called them? They prayed and fasted. We all must participate in this. And so we pray on Sundays, and we go, well, that counts. And it does, not that it's into like counting like that. But I just want to point out here, as we're winding down, a couple resources. So Operation World is a group that has been tracing for a long time the spread of Christianity to the nations across the world. And they actually have an app that you can get now that's based on a couple of the books that they've put out in the last 15, 10 to 15 years. Um, So if you go to your app store on your phone and just look for Operation World, that will show up right near the top. And it's an app to pray for different places Uh, Today is Sierra Leone. Pray for different places all over the world. They tell you some about the nation itself, some about what they've been able to find out about it and the spread of Christianity there, the spread of the gospel there. But that's a way you can daily have have an app that refreshes every morning and gives you new places to think about, new places to pray, new places to ask for God to work. Another ministry that we've actually used here and shown um, one of their videos here is Frontline Missions. Uh, their main videos are called Dispatches from the Front, and they're going around to different places where it's really hard to be a Christian, and they're visiting with those who are taking the gospel. They're seeing churches, and they're getting some footage of it and bringing that back and putting it together so that people like us who are just here in Philadelphia in the United States of America can see what God is up to. Um, So those are a couple. There are more than that. There are places doing frontier missions, but those are ones as we think about like our call to pray. So I don't even know where to start. There are two places that you can start. The app from Operation World is free. The DVDs, we were just talking about, like maybe they'll get to digital one day. Uh, I know it's digital video disc, but uh, you can still, you can get DVDs from Frontline Missions. Their dispatches from the front series is very helpful, and those are not too expensive. But all of us are called to pray, to be asking the Lord to keep his promise to save his people from every nation. So we, the big idea again, we must participate 
in the spread of the gospel to the end of the earth. This is still the plan. There is still work to do. The Spirit is still calling and empowering people. Some are called to go. Most of us are called to stay and send and support and pray. And we're still all called to fulfill the Great Commission right where we are. And we do have a unique opportunity to be part of this without even leaving our part of the city. May the Lord give us grace to play our part in taking the gospel to peoples and places where Jesus is not yet known. Let's pray. Oh God, this is way too much for us. And so we thank you that Jesus is the one who promised to build his church. Jesus the one, is the one who gave his own life for our sins. Would you help us, each one of us, to consider your calling on our lives, your calling on our church? And would you make us into the healthiest church we can be? Not so that we can say, look at us, but so that we can be prepared to send our best, whether it's to other parts right in our own city or across the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.